You're listening to Reach, a podcast created for professional bloggers to help you expand your reach and maximize your bottom line. I'm your host, Val Geisler, fellow blogger and marketer at ConvertKit. As bloggers, we're passionate about so many things. But when one of those things takes over our brains, we want that side hustle to turn into a full-time gig as quickly as possible. Oftentimes, our dream becomes a reality, but it might not look like we planned. Mike Vardy knows exactly what that dream-turned-reality is like. Mike is a writer, productivity strategist, and the founder of Productivityist. He served as the managing editor at Lifehack and has written for 99U, Lifehacker, Success Magazine, and more. Mike has also spoken all over North America at events like TEDx Victoria, South by Southwest Interactive, and Creative Live. In this conversation, Mike talks about why a business owner needs both intention and attention to get to their dream, what it means to go deep instead of wide in your work, and what happens at the intersection of freedom, fortune, and fame. If you find yourself feeling inspired by today's interview and want to impact your own reach right away, get our free action guide from this episode at convertkit.com slash reach, or just click the link in your podcast player. Now let's find out how Mike Vardy achieved his reach. Hey, Mike, thanks for being on the show today. Thanks for having me, Val. Looking forward to chatting with you today. Yeah, I'm actually super excited to talk to you as a little bit of a productivity nerd myself. So for those of our listeners who don't know who you are, can you give us a little bit about you, your background, and how you got into what you do today? Sure. So my name is Mike Vardy. I am the founder of Productivityist, which is a blog slash company slash it's kind of evolved over time to become kind of a focal point or a resource to help people stop guessing and start going. We're trying to put the personal back in productivity because that's something that I think is sorely lacking in a lot of uh, what goes on today because we have so many things that are coming at us all the time that we tend to just try to check off as many boxes as possible. Me and, and, and the team that I work with at Productivity, our goal is to help you check off the right boxes. Now, how did I get into this? It was a long and winding road. It's, you know, I mean, I've seen that, you know, the diagram that everyone says is from some other source online with like the, the line that goes straight from like where you are to where, where you're going or, or the, that, yeah. that entrepreneurial line. And then there's a the squiggly line. Mine is full of squiggles for sure. I ended up working for Costco for uh, almost uh, a little over a decade, actually. And that's what brought me out out west to where I am now in Victoria, BC. I uh, was trying to uh, balance my Costco managerial career with something that I started to get back into when I got on the West Coast, which was comedy, stand-up, uh, sketch, improv, all that stuff. And I had also met my wife at that point. We were getting ready to have a child. And so I was trying to balance all this stuff out and I started to study productivity. Well, in true Mike Vardy fashion, I went all into productivity. And instead of becoming the, the conduit that helped me manage those two projects, it became a third project altogether. <laughs> and, and so eventually I left Costco. I slowly worked my way out of there, going from a managerial role to the the guy clicking and greeting you as you uh, come in and, and exit the store. I ended up uh, eventually uh, leaving comedy behind because it's difficult to believe but in order to uh, make a living as a comedian, you often have to go on the road and the pay is terrible. And uh, that is it, hard to believe. It's, it's challenging. <laughs> so I, what I managed to do was I married comedy and productivity together. I ended up doing this comedy productivity parody character in a site called Eventualism. And it was all about getting things done eventually. And so I tried to do some satire there and it worked it got the attention of David Allen and his team. I interviewed them as well as a few other people for a podcast that I was doing like we're talking nine, eight, nine years ago now. Even No, actually even further, I'd say close to 10 years. And what happened was is David Allen's team said, we love what you do, the spin you put on productivity. Would you like to write for the GTD Times? I said, absolutely. And they said, just, you know, write as you. Don't be this character that you're playing, which is like kind of the Stephen Colbert-esque thing that you're doing. And so I started to write as a legitimate productivity enthusiast. And from there, I became a productivity specialist. So I ditched the comedy thing because you can't exactly you know, be a productivity parodist and then be the thing that you're parodying. It kind of doesn't work that way. You, you, and then uh, over time, I, you know, I kind of specialized in a bunch of different platforms, a bunch of different methodologies. And uh, I was watching uh, over the years what was happening in the online space. I'd studied a whole bunch of different tips, tricks, tactics, approaches, methods, and I eventually created my own. And I've now become a productivity strategist. I kind of am copying Tony Robbins, who calls himself a life strategist. I saw him call himself that on Marie Forleo's show. And I'm like, that's what I am now. I'm now a productivity strategist. 
the IST is common throughout the enthusiast, specialist, strategist phase. Productivityist is kind of what stuck. I called myself that a few years ago and it kind of coined that phrase and it stuck. So I named my company after that. And that's kind of how I got to where I am now. And now I'm speaking on the subject. I'm working on a book, which I can't tell too much about the details yet. But, you know, we're, we're kind of, you know, the ink is still drying on the contract and, uh, you know, creating products for uh, for people at Productivityist as well as, you know, doing coaching. So, yeah, it's been a long and winding road. But, you know, you know, they say there's no such thing as an overnight success, right? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I know so many people guess on this show and other stories they hear all the time of, you know, it's. Like you said, you, that was 10 years ago when you started talking to the David Allen's team. And, you know, it's a long, long road for most people to be where they are. And um, there's really no such thing as an overnight success. And it typically does have a few different variables and in a path that you don't expect. It's not that from the bottom left to the top right <laughs> corner of the graph. Right, really clean. right. Yeah. And, and the cool thing is, is that I still get to go up and perform because I do a lot of speaking. Yeah. I get to be creative as a writer, so I create my own content. So the dream of being that guy on stage and performing in front of people has been realized, but in a completely different way than I ever expected. That is so true for so many people that the the dream becomes its own thing. And I'd love to hear more from you about how you, you've experienced that, because I think that's something a lot of people struggle with is like, no, but this is my dream. Like this, this comedy thing is my dream. And um, having this character that I'm parroting, you know, th this is the dream as I wrote it. But here's this thing that's happening that kind of looks like my dream. But a lot of people fight against that and really want to go with like, no, 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 this is my plan, especially someone like you who's like, you're a planner, you keep things organized and productive. And so how did you work through that as as things started to like make their own plans for you? It was it, that's a great question because it was it was really interesting because I it's kind of like again you're you're uh, my friend Srinivas Rao wrote a book called uh, it's it's just come out it's called Unmistakable why why only is better than best and he uses a surfing metaphor in it right and so I'll, I'll use a simple a similar metaphor in that like I felt like I was swimming upstream like it was very tough for me to become this comedian type guy when when you when you have to d dive in a hundred percent to that like you can't for stand up you know I, I was already facing this situation with should I be a stand up comedian should I be a sketch comedian like what should I do well to do either of those well you need to be a hundred percent committed to them and I was with my family who I really wanted to spend time with my daughter which is what I was searching for was the the freedom to be able to have, tell her like, hey, you can do whatever it is that you want to do in life and look how much time you get to spend with me because I didn't get to spend a lot of time with my parents growing up. I grew up in the 80s where they, you know, it was very common, if not the, the majority of parents would work from eight to five and you'd get home from school and you know, I'd have a key and I'd be, watch Transformers and G.I. Joe and Thundercats because- You were a latchkey kid. Yeah, I was a total latchkey kid. Yeah. Right? And so I didn't want that for my daughter. And, you know, if you're paying attention, and I think that this is important, and this definitely relates to productivity, um, you know, intention is, is part of the, the plan. Like, what do I intend to do? Well, I intend to, you know, have what, what, the bigger intention. It's not like I intend to be a comedian, but okay, if I'm, I intend to be a comedian, well, how am I going to, what things do I have to pay attention to, to move in that direction? So intention plus attention to me are very, the big, you know, kind of uh, boilerplate points of productivity more than say efficiency and effectiveness. I think those are the the cause and effect like those are the cause and effect, but these two things I think are really important. So I was paying attention to the fact that I wanted to be a comedian and I didn't like the results. Like I, I thought, you know, this is going to take a lot longer to get there. And so I kind of made some adjustments along the way, even though the plan, you know, I'd get a call saying, hey, you should come down. And there was a show called Online Nation. It was on for such a limited time. And me and my comedy troupe, we did a parody of Girls Gone Wild called Girls Gone Mild. And it was online. And it didn't <laughs> go viral, but it got the attention of the CW network. And they wanted us to give them the rights to air it on the show. And we did. We gave them the rights. And so it was supposed to be, I think, episode four that they air, they would have aired this thing. And this that could have been a real game changer for that, for us. And they canceled the series after three episodes. Hmm. So we never got to. And a lot of people said, oh, man, that that is a that's that's tragic. And, and I look at it now and I said, no, you know, it's part of the plan that I had no. I mean, that was part of the plan. If, if I ended up 
having that show up on TV, uh, who knows where I would be right now. Same thing when uh, we were going to perform at San Francisco Sketchfest, and we were opening for Bruce McCullough of Kids in the Hall. And half the troop was able to get across the border, and the other half we ran across a, a U.S. border guard who just didn't know the rules of playing at festivals, which Canadians can do as long as they're not getting any money. He didn't let us through. So half the troop went. I was the half that didn't get to go. So I think if I had met, like, the the rest of the troop got to party with, like, Chris Hardwick and stuff like that. Uh, one of those three people that have gone, that did go through is now a comedian. She's now a very well-known comedian in, in Vancouver, B.C., uh, the rest of us that didn't get to go, two of them are still doing the things that they were doing before. And I'm doing this now. So I think that, that you just see these signs along the way. And then you just realize, you know, I think the big thing for me was if, if, if I, if I was going to be a comedian, I would have ended up being on the road a lot. I wouldn't have seen my kids. And that was the, one of the biggest goals that I wanted to have. When I, when I decided to quit Costco, I emailed Jonathan Colton, who is a singer Still very well known, very more of a cultish singer online. And he was a guy who was making six figures as a software engineer, released some songs on iTunes and then went full bore with it and more of a comedic guy once his daughter was born. And I emailed him back when I was, you know, when people actually answered emails, <laughs> you know, people who are well known were actually still answering their own emails and virtual assistants weren't as, as uh, in fashion. And I said, what should I do? Here's my thing. He said, quit your job. He says, don't tell your wife I told you to quit your job, but quit your job at Costco and, and focus on it. And what happened was, is it just kind of snowballed from there. So it is frustrating when you're when things don't go according to plan. And I've seen this experience with productivityists as well, which I which I'd love to get into as well, where I started to write about certain things as a specialist, which is like all the tech tools and stuff, because I used to work for the next web and cult of Mac and, and I wrote for VentureBeat for a little while. And then all of a sudden, you don't want to write about that stuff anymore. And you have to pull yourself away from that because you see your blog going down that path or you become known for being that thing or that person or that expert or whatever you want to say. So it is it is frustrating, but I think you have to ride the wave and you have to see where it takes you because if you're paying attention to that, that then you can marry your intentions with it. And that's when you could be really productive. That's when you can become, you know, what that's, that's when you can get to the the ultimate goal of why you're doing this in the first place is it because you want to spend more time with your family is it because you want to be rich and famous is it because you want to be well known Derek Sivers at World Domination Summit we were talking about this before we started going on the air here I was sitting next to Nathan Barry at Derek Sivers's talk at World Domination Summit in 2015 and Derek Sivers said there's three things that you entrepreneurs that, that you do that you want when you go and, and become an entrepreneur you want freedom fortune or fame, you, any one of those three, one of those will stand out above the rest. And, and for me, it's freedom. So that that kind of helped guide me to where I am now where I get to stand in my office in my home, uh, talk to you still get to perform still get to occasionally be funny. Uh, even when I when I don't mean to be which which I keep track of now. I'm like, Okay, that was good. <laughs> <laughs> and I just you know, I get to have that freedom I get to, I guess, teach Everything I know. I'm wearing the convert kit shirt right now, oh, by the way. Awesome. <laughs> we love that. So I have so many follow-up questions from that. But the first one is, would you give that same advice to someone today? If somebody emailed you and said, hey, Mike, what should I do? I have this full-time job and I have this passion and this other goal for my life. Would you give that same advice? Quit your job? I would say create a plan to get out of your job. I wouldn't mm -hmm. be so brazen. Because and I didn't follow his advice per se. What I did was I quit the position that I had, the managerial role, yeah. and I started to slide into. So it's kind of like, you know, if you're if you're working at a job that you uh, like, say you're middle management, which is a very tough place to be because you've got your your superiors above you. You have the the who have their superiors, and so and at Costco it was interesting because I had my in house superiors. Then because I ran the food service areas, so I ran the hot dog stand and I ran the rotisserie chicken area, two opposite ends of the warehouse. I had bosses for each of those departments that were part of regional, so I had three sets of bosses. Plus, I had my staff who really, when you think about it you are beholden to. They are kind of your bosses in a way because you mm -hmm. have to serve them. And then you have the customer who's always going to be your boss. So I had like basically five sets of bosses. So you're in a really tough position. And so I spent more time managing than leading. And that was tricky because it's hard to be a leader when there, there's a very fundamental difference there. So what I would suggest to somebody and what I did in this case is I said, you know what? 
this stuff is too dynamic. Like there's too many different weird problems because there's so many people and emotion involved. I need to become the guy who just instead of is in charge of the chicken pot pie promotion at Costco when they go on sale for $9.99, I need to be just the guy that makes them. Like, I just want to be the guy that, so I stepped down from being the the supervisor and I went from full-time to part-time. So I went from full-time manager to part-time, which the warehouse manager's jaw hit the floor when I said, you know, I want to become a part-time employee from being management. Because he said, well, how are you going to live? And I I said, well, I'm going to do my thing on the side with the hours I get back. And I said, the reason I want to be part-time is I want control. You have to ask me to stay later. You can only schedule me for so many hours. I mean, I have a bit more control this way. So that's what I want. Again, freedom. I wanted that freedom. So if I, if someone was to ask me that advice, and I've given this to clients too, or like, you know, I want to get out of this job or I don't, you know, how do I do it? Again, as a, pro, as, as a productivityist, I can say, formulate a plan. Don't out and out quit your job, but f- plan your exit strategy and, and literally map it out. Don't just say, well, in eight months, I'm going to quit. No, say, well, stage it out. And that's exactly what I did. And eventually I went from the guy who was in charge of, you know, the whole chicken pot pie operation to be very reductive to the guy making them. And then eventually I just watched the the Costco job board until they had someone that was working the door. And I'm like, I want to be that guy. And because I'd been there for 10 years, it was difficult for them to turn it. I mean, I was I had the highest seniority of any yeah. part time employee. So they <laughs> said, all right. And then my job was and it was funny because. And I think this is a good lesson in perspective too, is the guy, there's another guy that's working at the door. He still works there and his name is Ken Cucci and he's a, a singer. He was a, a singer of a band that was signed to Nickelback's label here in, 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 in Canada. And he's still on that label, but now he does country with his wife called Bucko and Toad. You can get their stuff on iTunes. It's actually quite good stuff. They're, they're performing this weekend actually with Carrie Underwood. Oh, so, nice. so this yeah. guy still works at Costco. He worked, he, he was one of the people we, we hired when we opened the building, we're talking back in 1999. When he was working there and I was working there as a manager, I did not like the guy. I did not. I mean, he did exactly what he needed to do in that role, but no more. By the time I left, him and I were working on the door together. I had immense respect for this person because what he did was he he knew what Costco, he had intention. He knew what Costco was for him. It was the place that he could earn money consistently you know, kind of like the recurring revenue model that any membership site is like, okay, I'm going to have this recurring paycheck that comes in that allows me to live. And then I'm going to go out and make my music and that's going to be bonus income. And that's exactly how he he lived and worked at Costco. And what's funny is, uh, I think it was about a year or two ago, he came to me and asked me about his exit strategy. He said, I got to get out. He goes, I've got a lot of freedom, but it's time. So I have immense respect for a guy who initially I wanted fired. so when you're in a situation like that for a while that would that's what prompts someone to send me that letter like i need to change that's what prompted me to send that letter to jonathan colton but i think you need to mitigate as much risk as possible because it's very scary to just cut the cord completely so find a way to ease your way out like don't seek i mean the, the problem is a lot of people will seek that big promotion or they have that big promotion and they're not willing to compromise the you know six-figure salary because they have to go down to five figures because that's what they have to do so they can eventually get back to maybe six or even seven figures. So you have to think bigger and beyond that point, but you have to be willing to make that that leap, even if it's a tiny one. Okay. So while you were doing that, I guess, backwards leap a little bit or like downhill leap at Costco, were you, you were doing that because you were building up Productivityist? At that point, I was building it up a little bit, but I was still more mainly focused on my comedy career. Okay. So it was it was happening, but that was when I was doing the parody stuff still. So when I mm. left Costco, and I timed it well too, because I left just after getting at Costco. Back when I was there, you get se- you'd get semi annual bonuses. So I left like just after the the last. Oh bonus yeah, set. if you're gonna leave a job, do it after yeah, you get your bonus. Exactly, like <laughs> made, like time it that way. And I left during the, and I also gave. This is the other thing too, is I gave a month's notice and I've always given a month's notice before leaving a job. It, two weeks is not enough time. I think you need to give a month. I also did it at the, the at January, like the, the, the slowest time of year. So I was doing it at the exact right time for everybody. Plus I was starting to rev up because January, as you probably can imagine for productivity, it's a pretty important time. Yeah. Once I left Costco, I went to work briefly for an Apple dealer just so I could learn how to use Apple computers more. I intended on staying there f- for a while um, just as a part-time and just as a sales guy. And there was a lot of time for me to learn how to use a Mac. 
Then I got a job. Then eventually an opportunity was presented to me to work for a film festival. And I was going to be the operations manager of this film festival, which was great because it taught me how to work with people in a more leadership role as opposed to a customer based role, you know, where I'm just making things all the time. And this kind of time I was in charge of operational stuff. I did that for three years. Now, the, now that's when productivity really was taking off. I was working for work awesome at that time. I was doing productivity as, uh, as like a, a side project still, but I, my online career was really taking off. I was working 40 hours online and 40 hours offline. So I could see that there was a, there was a, there was going to have to make a, a change. I couldn't work 80 hours. It wasn't sustainable. And so what I did was I had to make a decision. Do I take the leap again and go full on online or do I, and, and, you know, leave this somewhat secure arts job because arts funding can like anywhere can get cut very easily. And I was the lowest seniority person there. Or do I do I stay and then forego the online stuff? And that's and again, timing was everything. My son was being born, you know, we could uh, in Canada, which, you know, like most other countries in the world, the US doesn't have this yet, they really need to work on it is I could take leave, I could take parental yeah. leave as a dad. So I just basically took that leap then as soon as i took that leap work awesome said oh yeah we're selling we're selling invado we're gonna sell work awesome and so i'm like oh crap (laughs) that's amazing timing so what do i do now and that's when lifehack came along that's when lifehack was looking for a a writer and part-time editor and then i did that and i did that 100 percent. like i i didn't get paid very much to do that but i i said lifehack is a well-known site i want to make sure that's where i want to be known that's where i want to be unmistakable and, you know, because I'd seen like Chris Brogan had written for Lifehack, Leo Babata had written for Lifehack, you know, there was a lot of people there. And so I eventually uh, became the managing editor of Lifehack, got us up to I think it was 3 million page views per month, I think it was. And at that time, I was building up Productivityist as well. So you could see both of them happening. I'd written a book called The Front Nine that was, you know, that was getting published. I had a literary agent. Things were really, I'd done one TED Talk, Creative Live was on the horizon. Then Lifehack said, yeah, we want to publish more articles. We're all about page views. We want to have, you know, we want to do like eight articles per day. And I had written a post and it's still up at Productivity. It's called What the Bleep Happened to Lifehacker. Lifehacker. Because <laughs> Lifehacker, if you've ever read it, it was really great. And then, oh, all yeah. su- and then all of a sudden they became the site that said, here's how you put lettuce on a hamburger so that it, your bun doesn't get soggy. Yeah. And I'm like, what in the world is that? So I wrote that post. It got a lot of feedback positively from readers, not so much from Lifehacker. I, there was a bit of an, and you can see the comments, me and the, the editor at the time have a couple of com- back and forths. And Lifehack then said, we're going to do the same thing Lifehacker does. What do you say? And I say, I cannot be hypocritical. I've got to go. And then at that point in time, I was ready to just, you know, I said, okay, it's time for me to look at doing coaching. It's time for me to start to make productivity as my main thing. And unfor- the, the fortunate thing is that I've become completely my own boss. I'm now, in a, I can call the shots. I've got the freedom. Um, but the, the downside, some people would say, is I've become completely unemployable. I can never work for anyone else ever again <laughs> at this point. Well, Brian Clark would tell you that's a good thing. Yes, um, yes, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So that post, obviously, that's like a huge kind of position to take and against a a brand that's pretty obviously very public. And like you said, you had that back and forth in the comments, which will will definitely link to that post. But would you say at that point, was that a pivotal blog post for you as far as the traction that Productivity has had? Yeah, definitely. Because people were, um, and at that time, it wasn't even really known as Productivityist. It was still called Vardy.me. So I was building an audience, a strong audience um, for me and who I was. And I was becoming known for, you know, hey, this guy knows his stuff when it comes to productivity. I'm loath to call myself an expert. Other people can do that. That's not, I don't, and, and all those terms kind of drive me nuts. I, I like to say I'm a strategist or a specialist. But at that point, it was definitely pivotal because I wasn't afraid to take on you know, Gawker Media. I wasn't even thinking it was Gawker Media at the time. I said, oh, Lifehacker. And and I knew, I knew that by publishing that post, there was a strong risk that they would never publish anything of mine ever. Like I knew it. They have, they've published many things since, but I knew that that was, that was a definite possibility. And I said, you know, I, I need to make this known because I know I'm not the only one out there that's thinking this. And lo and behold, uh, you know, I still get comments on that post, you know, every once in a while. I don't share the post as often as I used to because I think life hackers come around a little bit. But no, it was definitely a pivotal post for me. 
They definitely show up in a lot of Google searches that because they've covered so many random little things. Yeah, and you know what? I think that that's something that that I really have I've gotten. I've tried to get away from knowing what having written for the next web and written for life hack. I mean, Cal Newport, I'm such a fan of his work, Cal. And I, I've known Cal for a few years now. And I'd rather go for depth over breadth at this point. I think that's mm-hmm. the stage I'm at where, you know, I want to go deep on my approach that I teach my productivity approach, as opposed to talking about the Oh, look, this app, you know, uh, just changed it, it itself again. And here's something new that you might want to try or, you know, like, I think that there's, if you're gonna, for me, I'm at the stage now where I want to make sure I go deep with something as opposed to cast a wide net because I know what I'm going for. As opposed to before, I was just trying to get you know noticed in a crowd, and and I think that's that's one of the things. If somebody was going to quit their job to do online online stuff today, I'm like, make sure you're at least noticed now because uh, it's it's far more crowded than when I started. That's for sure. And you know, you mentioned that earlier, the idea of like you didn't want to be the the tech guy um or you were starting to feel a little bit tired with that particular topic. And now that you mentioned this too about getting more specific and it's something Tara Gentile talked about in episode 9. So I know this is a really important thing for our, our listeners to get. But I want to know what you did when you had that thing that you didn't want to talk about anymore. Because Tara kind of had the opposite of like, oh, I want to talk about all these things, but I really need to niche down on my categories, get really specific about what I'm talking about on my blog. So she really only talks about certain things, even though she could very well write blog posts about Star Trek or geocaching Mm -hmm. or, you know, those things that she's passionate about. Um, But it sounds like in your case, there was this opposite spin of I don't want to be that guy anymore. And how did you make that pivot? Well, I think it's it, part of it was just fatigue of chasing these apps that are constantly iterating. I mean, even I mean, every every web service evolves, right? I mean, and so, you know, I mean, I think what happens is, is that if you're trying to keep on top of all these services, and, and let's face it, value, I mean, you're, you're, you're into productivity, you probably see like there's so many apps and so many tools. And if you're chasing that, then you can't really dive deep into the why are we using these tools in the first place? Or how should you use? Uh, how should you approach it and then figure out a tool that's going to work for you? Right? I mean, it's, it's I guess it's the difference between being a carpentry blog and being a carpentry blog that talks just about the tools that you would use as a carpenter. I mean, I would much rather talk about the wisdom and the knowledge behind carpentry, if I was going to do that, then say the Stanley set of tools, or the Ryobi tools, sure, you're going to get lots of product. And believe me, I've had a lot of free tools thrown my way. But eventually just for me, it was just, okay, I need to stop talking about this as much. And I didn't, I, I haven't outright gotten rid of it. Because it's funny, I've looked at, you know, we look at my analytics, and I've got someone I work with with sales and, and, and conversion. And and he said, well, your posts out of the top 10 posts, seven of them are Todoist or Asana related. And I'm like, <laughs> OK, so how do we change that? And and it becomes there, then we have to come up with a strategy to make that happen. And, and I think what we've, we're doing and we haven't done it completely yet. But if I'm teaching my methodology, which is where I really want to go, I want to teach people how to take an approach and then they can pick whatever tool they want. Because, you know, some tool, I mean, with Evernote, Evernote's a great example. A lot of people use Evernote for task management, but Evernote's going to get to a point where maybe it's going to go under, maybe it's not going to be around. Maybe, you know, I mean, they've, they, you know, they changed quite a bit. So I said, what if we, we're going to create some opt-ins and some bonus, you know, the content add-ons or whatever you want to call them, where if I'm talking about Todoist, I will put a content add-on saying, do you want to learn how to use the now your method with Todoist? Click here and learn how. So I'm going to augment those. I'm not going to ignore it because people will ask me that stuff, but I'm not going to pursue it anymore. And I think that's the difference. I think I want to focus specifically on the the, the methodology that I teach and the approach and, and more of the philosophical and human stuff. And the technology is still there, but it's going to be take a back seat. And so it's about promoting all the other stuff, the mindfulness stuff, the, uh, the approach-based stuff. And then making sure that all of those posts that have the technology mentioned lead people towards where I want them to go. Mm -hmm. So your content upgrade isn't here, download this Todoist template, because then that would be definitely positioning you back into the the technology side of it. But it's the 
learn about the mindset piece, the, yeah. the strategy that goes yeah. into this Todoist thing. Yeah. And I mean, I, I'm not averse to saying, and I've done this with, with the Beyond Productivity product I have. I've got how to do the daily map in Todoist, how to do the daily map in Wonderlist, how to do it. In, I can talk about that, but it's not the focal point. It's bonus content. And that's that's where I think that fits in. So if I'm positioning a product that way, I'll say, okay, and I'm doing that with the with the uh, the Productivityist playbook that we're putting together right now, is it'll be bonus material. So the core content will be about the approach and the methodologies and the philosophical applications and, and, and the mindset and all that stuff. But, oh, okay, you're, you, you're a Todoist user. Great. Here's a, here's a bonus thing that you're going to get that you could use. And that way, if you buy it and you're an Asana user, well, you're going to get the Todoist stuff in that anyway, just in case you decide to switch because people move to-do list apps all the time. But it's going to be the, it's, it's going to be the, it's, it's not even the secondary component. It's more like the tertiary component. Like it's the thing that, oh, you know, Mike's used to, we know Mike for this and he's still touching on it, but it's not the, it's not the be all and end all because it's just so tiring to chase technology. And as a former tech reporter, you spend more time chasing than you do, you know, kind of fostering and nurturing some of the more important stuff. Cause you know, it just, I mean, I even talk about how to do the daily map on paper. I think paper is something that, that I, I like to talk about that more too, because I think paper is a technology that we, you know, don't necessarily value as much as we used to, or we don't put a framework around it that allows us to value, to value it. So I, I think, and that took a long time to, again, just like with the life hacker piece, it took some courage to say, you know what, screw it. I'm not going to write about apps anymore. And because again, when you look at my top 10 in analytics, you're like, okay, well, 70% of them are, are about apps. So guess you're reinventing yourself a little bit again. Like, yep, yes, so. <laughs> and that's interesting because you get that advice to like go to your top 10 blog posts, especially if you've been blogging for a while now and see what the common themes are. And and if those are those are the popular things, then the kind of common mindset is write more of that because that's what's drawing people to your site. And if your goal is page views and, and exposure and reach, then that's that makes sense. But if you are in complete conflict with the, you know, seven out of 10 of those posts, then you have to figure out how to pivot that strategy and leverage those posts to talk then more about what you really want to talk about. And that and that takes that takes time and it takes energy. Yeah. And, and it's it's like anything else. You're like, well, I'll just leave it the way it is. It's fine. It's fine the way it is. And then you then it's going to take time for, for this pivot to happen for me. I mean, it, I'm seeing it already. I'm seeing the benefits of it for sure. I'm seeing it already happen. But it's not an overnight thing. And and I think the biggest thing that I learned is, you know, when you put something on the internet, not everybody's seen it. So much, so very few people have seen it initially. <laughs> and so many few people have seen it three years from now. You know, so you're going to be, I mean, the, one of the, the book that I'm working on right now is going to expose me to a whole new audience that I never would have dreamed I would have had access to. And I doubt I'd be able to gain access to where I am at right now with, with what, with I, what I do at productivity But once they do have it, it's going to help me get that 70% down to say, 20% or even less. But yeah, it takes patience and it takes a willingness to to be brave and say, you know what? My reach is important to me, but what do I want to reach people about? As opposed to how many people do I want to reach? Like, that's fine. But how, what do I want to reach them about? What do I want to be known for? What do I want to be? Uh, I mean, again, I, I look at what you guys do with ConvertKit. Um, you know, I mean, there there is, the, I mean, there's, there's a I love the the culture around it, and I think that that's what what I want to foster with with my work as well. It's not just the 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 reach of of how many people can I hit every every day, every week, every month, but what what are they seeing when I do reach them? Yeah, that's true, and something we talk about every single day is you know what kind of content is going on to our blog, and who are we who are we talking to because. ConvertKit isn't a solution for everyone, and we don't really want it to be. Um, so, you know, we focus on professional bloggers, people who are making a living or, or aim to make a living 100% online. And and maybe there's a mix of things in there. We certainly, you know, we've had guests on the show like Sarah Morgan, who has a side gig, and she's never leaving it. You know, she loves having her mix of online and, and offline work. But She's still a professional blogger because she earns a living from her blog, right? Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. it is. It's funny because I look at my my post that have the biggest reach, and the one that does have the biggest reach, that's the one that matters the most to me right now. And it's the one where I basically say, "Here's the email you should send before you go on vacation." So it's tech, ah. ba it's tech based, but it's not like okay, 
here's the here's the Outlook email you should like. It's not based specifically on one type of app. So that's it's philosophical, but yet it embraces technology, and it's my my most popular post. And I guess it's probably it, it tends to come back up at around Christmas time and in the summer. <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> um, and then the one that has the smallest reach that I you know it's kind of like okay, what do I? I really wish that you know that this had more is what you need, like what you need to do to be more productive. And then the one, it's funny, as we're talking about apps, uh, the one that I really wish that more people read is is called you know, focus on the approach, not the app. Focus on the approach, not the application, because that's really, I mean, apps come and go, but approaches, once you have a framework in place, once you have a template, then you can rely on that template and trust it more consistently. So those are the ones that I have to work hard to make sure that more people see but yet, I also like the fact that the one that's the, the most popular, that gets the biggest reach or the greatest reach, is is that one that kind of marries those two together. And and when when I see that that's the one that's got the most, uh, I'm like, okay, I'm doing something right. And I think I don't often look at analytics, or I don't look at it as often as maybe I should. But I look at I think I look at them enough to get a sense of okay, what do I want to breed? What kind of content do I want to breed today? And, and I've always said to people. Um, especially when you see, and again, this came to me when I was working at Lifehack and, and all the other sites out there that when you, when you put a post up and then all of a sudden you see sites in China putting up posts as well. And there was that weird, I think, I think, uh, a, a year or so ago, there was a, a bootleg site that grabbed like everybody's online, um, <laughs> everybody's online products and put them on sale for like one third of the price. And, and I mean, I think that's one where you want to go after the, those people, but I've, I'm just in the mindset of. Do I want to be a dog breeder or a dog catcher? What will make me more money? What will make me more fulfilled? Well, you know, nurturing and, and growing my dogs for per se, which is my work, my creative content versus chasing people and chasing things. Uh, it That just becomes exhausting. So with, with this, I get to be a dog breeder as opposed to a dog catcher. Well, and that's exhausting for you. Like there's yeah. definitely people who are more excited with the catching and the chase. And, you know, those are the journalists of the world and they would be... They'd be exhausted talking chasing about the kids. Exam. I'm chasing kids most of the time at this point. <laughs> <laughs> I got if a six-year-old redheaded boy. <laughs> yeah, you're chasing like some sticky fingers around the house. Exactly, exactly. No, yeah. don't, don't, don't touch that. Don't drop that. <laughs> I totally get that. <laughs> so since we're talking about productivity and, and what you do, I, I'm going to take a moment to like publicly ask you as some of, some of the things we're struggling with at ConvertKit. And that I think a lot of our our listeners struggle with too. We had this conversation this morning about you know the the kind of corporatey term of KPIs, the key performance indicators. And I think a lot of us as entrepreneurs or you know working in a startup or a small business, and um, we get like, oh, I could never use a corporate term like KPI. But knowing those things that actually move the needle forward in your business and whether that's you know your own business or as if you're like me an entrepreneur inside of someone else's business you know knowing those few things that you're and it's because it's to us it's just a few and maybe you have a different take on it but we have just a few each of us individually every week um, that we're meeting those like if we do these things we know we've done good work this week whether our inbox is empty or yeah. you know all those low hanging fruit are taken care of or not so so we've really and just this is just in the past couple of weeks we've really focused on setting those and meeting those small but measurable goals every single week and we're seeing the results from it. Um, so I'd love to hear more from you on like, is that a good approach to to do those small measurable goals or do you believe in kind of bigger picture goals alongside that? I think it's I think it's a combination of both. I think what you guys are doing are, are, is really smart because what you're saying is is you've got these immediate things that you can see and they're not they're not low hanging fruit things either. Like you know, getting to inbox zero, which is again, such a, a poor KPI, if you want to use that for productivity, because it really doesn't, when you get your email to zero, all you've done is really, you know, checked out a bunch of information that's come your way. You haven't necessarily done anything with it. You've just said, oh, here's all the inputs that came my way into my inbox. And then if I was to ask you what you did with them, most people say, oh, just, you know, I read them or they're in your inbox, which is there's worse things. People just leave them in their inbox and then hope to find hope to do a scavenger hunt later on for anything. Or now they're on my to do list. Yeah. Yeah. Which is which is actually fine if they're in your to do list, but you have to have a way to do it. So I think one of the things that I, I talk about is it, when I teach productivity, is that it, part of the now your method 
is I talk about the idea of theming your time. So I'm not a huge believer in the idea of scheduling your day to the point where, you know, it's it's completely full, you know, where, where every moment of the day is scheduled because your day is very dynamic. You could have interruptions, meetings, et cetera. What if an emergency pops up? What if the internet goes down? I mean, if you have the every task mapped out for the day, it could become very overwhelming. In fact, your brain looks at it immediately and says, oh my goodness, look at all I have to do today. And it, it, cre- it sends a signal that of overwhelm, even minor overwhelm initially. Those people that use their calendars as their to-do lists often have a lot of people doing most of the things on their to-do list for them. So they don't have as many things on that calendar. Yeah. So what I do is I say theme your days so that they have uh, an overarching focus. So Monday for me is my admin day. Tuesday for me is my uh, online writing day. Wednesday is my audio video day. Thursday is my training day. Friday is my book writing day. And Saturday is my family day and Sunday is my planning day. And it's important that you theme every day because that way every day has a trigger, you know, like, oh, Saturday's family day. Well, what family activities am I going to do? Oh, Sunday's planning day. So I think you can tie those with your both your long term and your short term goals, because if you make your daily themes broad enough, but yet meaningful, then when I say, hey, you know, Val, it's Tuesday, you can say, yeah, what does Tuesday mean to me? Oh, Tuesday is business development day. So we're, this is where I focus my overarching focus on these types of activities. It doesn't mean you don't do the other things, but when you're done the things that might interrupt you, those urgent things that pop up, then you can say, okay, well, instead of saying, well, what do I do now? You say, oh, it's Tuesday, Tuesday's business development. Let me look at all the tasks that I've labeled. And this is where technology can come into play. Let me see all these t- things I've tagged with BizDev or all these things I've labeled with BizDev. And then when it goes to larger goals, I ask people, okay, well, you want to go bigger? Okay, create monthly themes. So I actually just wrote this in my newsletter that went out uh, as we're, we're recording this. So I, I send my newsletter every week, but I took three weeks off and I wrote about how I take a step backwards so that I can move forward with greater purpose. And what I'm going to start doing is sharing my monthly theme with all of my newsletter readers. And so my monthly theme for August, as, as we're getting into August as we're recording this, is the is to work on the Productivityist Playbook. I haven't told anybody this yet, but the, they're going to see it and they're going to go, oh, wow, okay, well, and I'm going to share it. You know, share the process. That's I think that's a big thing for me. That's sharing that process versus sharing dollars and cents because it would be probably depressing if they saw my dollars and cents. But but, if, but sharing that with them is important, and then that gives me an overarching focus for August. So on Monday when it's admin day, my you know, and you have that lizard brain, that resistance. I'll say, oh, Monday, Monday's admin day. Well, what admin tasks should I do? The one part of your brain goes, well, look at the easy ones. They're you know the low energy admin ones. Those ones that, and then the other part of my brain, the thinking brain, goes, no. It's August. August, it's playbook month. What are the admin tasks that are related to the playbook? Mm. So I'm able to move those things forward. So theming is really powerful. And then you could go even further and say, well, what are my yearly words? And we've actually, we did this on um, my assistant who's leaving me now. She's, again, just, she was an entrepreneur. Now she's an entrepreneur. She's going on to do her own thing. I'm really proud of her. Good um, for her. Yeah, it's, it's awesome. She's going to be working uh, remotely. She's going to be vagabonding. Uh, you know, I mean, and, and she came into working with me with, uh, a, her to-do list was a laundry list, no segments, nothing, just a really long list. Now it's a shopping list for her. She segmented it out so she can work either by modality, which is I talk about in the Now Your Method, or she can work by either a need to do, ought to do, or want to do. She's got like she's she's got the system down, so she she feels like she has more freedom because she's got this framework. But we spent this week just before she left because I don't have anyone to bounce these ideas off of anymore that lives locally. We mapped out the next fifteen months of productivityist. The next, like the the monthly themes. So all, just the overarching focuses. So we know exactly what we're going to be working on, or I know what I'm going to be working on. Like I've got all my themes to next to September 2017 worked out. And that gives me that long, that, that long range purpose. So I think it's important to have both of those because it allows you to give your, your day a focus. But then if you, if you're stuck in the day to day drudgery, or you don't know what that to do with those particular triggers that that day brings, the monthly theme says, well, here's the goal or here's the project that we're working on. So let's do that. I'm like swooning at thinking about having 15 months all planned out because that's exactly what we're aiming for over here. And when we have our team retreat at the end of August, that's one of our goals is to walk away with all of 2017 planned. So I'm excited to hear that, you know, you've done it and that it's powerful because it's something we we want to do. And 
and leading the way in that for for bloggers because as much as we as bloggers and and entrepreneurs can get stuck in daily like I call it firefighting the taking taking the time to set aside and, and know that plan it's something I've resisted for a long time and even in kind of leading the marketing team it was something that I was like no no let's just keep plugging away at all of our tasks and all of our to-dos and for bloggers it might be no I'll just keep writing and taking care of my clients and and I'll figure it out later but when we actually took the time and it, it turned out to be and it turned out to be an hour to plan the rest of this year so we did it in a five-month chunk so we took an hour as I grabbed a, and you could grab a couple of other bloggers you could grab uh, you know one trusted person and just or you know for us it was our team and mapped out the themes for the next several months. And when it was done and and we use Asana, so we put it all in Asana then and that was that was how we that's how we manage everything. But once it was there, it was like, oh, so it I know I don't feel like I'm fighting fires anymore. I feel like I have a, a plan. And even though there are, of course, the daily little fires to put out, I know exactly what's coming down the pipeline. And it's so refreshing. I'd actually say that you are you you did fight fires better the way you, you mean when you say firefighting. Firefighters don't fight fires the way people say that that term means, you know, they yeah, don't true. They true, fight true. fires very strategically. They'll let part of a building burn down. So that they can get access to another aspect of that building. They'll, they, I mean, forest fire uh, fighters especially, they'll let parts of the forest go, so they can, you know, corral it and and cordon it off. So it's funny when people say I fight fires all day long. I'm like, that's insulting to firefighters the way you said. It. Now I'm not saying what you said, but <laughs> no, but, totally. But, that I've never thought of it that way. But it's it's true. Like what you by taking that hour and setting it aside, you fought a fire like a firefighter would. You said, okay. We, there's these all these things that are smoldering and we need to, they're definitely there we're aware that they're there these are the like and I, the, you call them the fundamental fires if you want to like i i mean i didn't write a newsletter for three weeks that's a fire that's burning people are going where is the newsletter i didn't write you know we've lowered our blog post frequency you know there are things that that, that are smoldering but i said no you know what i need to take a step back and assess the whole landscape here and go okay how do i make sure that because again with me i am the ip i'm the i'm the creative you know, control guy. I'm the guy that's creating all the, I mean, if we're, especially if we're focusing on my approach, as opposed to just reporting on what an app is doing. And I mean, I'm an Asana user too. Our whole team uses Asana. I could write all day long about Asana. We had a product called do better with Asana and it didn't do better for us because Asana, it just changes too much. And, and mm-hmm. we released it and within three months. They rebranded themselves. Yep. And I was like, what the, I actually emailed them like, guys, you I could, know you could have let me know, <laughs> but the thing I have to redo all my videos. Yeah, I have to do all the videos. We have to change the colors because you've changed your color scheme. Yeah. Like there, so so which I think was another catalyst for me to make this decision to kind of get away from app writing per se. But the point is, is by stepping back and and realizing that Melissa, my assistant, was like it was literally the second to last day before she was leaving. I said, okay, we're today. You're here for four hours. We're going to map out the next that we're going to go and we didn't even spend the f- full four hours it took us about two it always uh, takes less time than you it think does. it will it, it does you know which and the day for big picture tasks yes i think it's funny because parkinson's law i think ends up falling into smaller tasks like like the more whereas the bigger tasks like you know mapping out things because especially when you're working with other people you don't you don't get lost in your own thoughts as much. And Melissa was really great because I said, you know, we're going to work on this. We, we've got other ideas that, that we've, we thought we're going to bring to the forefront. But the other thing that this does is that it puts you in a position to have boundaries so you can say no more. Right. Like I've got some people that say, hey, could you do this for me? Could you write this? You know, do this. And I just when I look at these monthly themes and I look at my plans for the next 15 months, I can say either confidently no or confidently yes. But. I'm saying no a hell of a lot more because otherwise it's going to derail me from those monthly themes. So I, I think what happens here is you do the fundamental, you deal with the fundamental fires, the ones that are, you know, like a, a person could you know put out. And I, I have experience with a fire. I've got a, a hand, burn on my hand from a house fire that we had here that I managed to put out a, a, about three years ago. I wrote about that on my blog as well. But then there's the bigger fires, the strategic fi- firefighting. And I think that, that that's what you guys have done. And that's what I did. And that's going to pay off huge dividends, but not. But a lot of people get stuck in this doing productive stuff, checking off as many boxes as possible instead of taking a step back and letting a couple things, you know, maybe last a little bit longer on their list or eliminating certain things that they don't necessarily need to do or want to do. 
those ought to do items, they can let them either, you know, move down the chain or just eliminate them completely and spend time doing these bigger picture things because that's where the that's where you keep moving forward with intention and you have a better chance of paying attention to it. It's like kind of like driving. When you drive, you're not going to look right in front of the hood. You're going to look way down the road because you want to make sure that you see everything that's coming. So this I think it's really important, a really important lesson and an important distinction for people to understand that you need to take a step back and gain perspective so that you can make those changes and, and get the reach and, and reach the right people. But you can't just do it by just staying connected all the time. You need to disconnect from some of this stuff so you can better connect going forward. Well, you've just helped fulfill a like childhood dream because I did go through a period of time where I wanted to be a firefighter. And so <laughs> now that I'm doing this more strategic thinking, you've just told me that I, I am a firefighter now. So that's awesome. You are. You are a um, firefighter. <laughs> Mike, I appreciate it. And I want to know before you go, you know, you've managed to to reach a lot of people, especially since kind of deciding like this is the direction I'm going with the the mindset piece and, and some of the more high level strategy as opposed to the the apps driven stuff. So I would love to know your kind of top tip that you give all over the place and people need to hear it multiple times. So if you can give it again here for new bloggers who want to expand their reach the same way that you have. Go deep, don't go wide as much as possible. I think that's a, I think that if I was doing it again, I would be more I would have taken the step back sooner. I would have said, OK, what do I what do I want to do that is going to have the greatest impact? I, I think another thing that you need to do is and this I think these go hand in hand is make up your plan and stick to it. Sure. Read advice from a lot of the heavyweights out there. But if you spend all the time reading the device and analyzing it, you get into this paralysis by analysis situation and you don't reach anybody when you do that. You stand still. So I think things like, you know, if you're a new blogger and you're going to be like Seth Godin where you write every day, then do that consistently and make that your your depth. If you're going to be somebody that wants to write incredibly deep and moving posts like Shane Parrish of, uh, of Farnham Street or James Clear then do that and do that consistently yeah you know once or twice a week if if you can manage that or maybe just once a week but be consistent be clear and, that, and the only way you can really do that is by going deep as opposed to going wide and then yeah just don't and this goes i think this goes with product stuff too you can't if you look at everywhere to find out how to price something you're going to be looking in a lot of places a lot of the time you know you have to you have to trust your values trust your instincts listen to the advice pay attention to it but don't necessarily heed it so that would those would be my biggest things and i think using a framework like the now year method can help you with this because you could say okay what what am i going to focus on today as opposed to what's the next action cuz that's where you can go down that that path of low hanging fruit and say, well, look, my email's at zero today. Yeah, but what what did you do that was deep work? What kind of writing did you do? What kind of creation did you do that's going to move you forward more measurably than you know getting your email inbox to zero? And we'll link people to the Now Your Method in today's action sheet too. So if you're interested in learning more about that, you can check out today's action sheet and get that link and, and all the other blog posts that we've talked about today and, and different links that Mike has shared with us. So Thank you so much for being here, Mike. You've enlightened me. You've affirmed some things for me. You've fulfilled a childhood dream. So yeah, thanks for, for everything and for sharing with our audience. I look forward to talking to you again. Thanks so much for having me, Val. I had a great time. That was Mike Vardy, founder of Productivityist. To learn more about Mike and his work, head to productivityist.com. Grab our free action guide from this episode to help you impact your own reach today. Head to convertkit.com slash reach or simply click the link provided right in your podcast player. It's time to expand your reach. We're so glad you started here. Thanks for listening.